Hey, what's going on? How you doing? How you feeling? Intros are so funny. I'm usually just standing in my van, pretending I'm talking to people. And now you're in your car listening to me. So it's bizarre. But I hope everyone's well. I'm well. I am Mr. Max. And this is the pursuit on the Auto Collective. So I guess I'm kind of doing this hot take thing. And I don't know. I don't really think about them. I try not to put too much effort into it because then it's not a hot take. But I guess my hot take this week is skiing isn't a winter sport. It's a snow sport. I think Glenn Plake might have said that. But I'm agreeing and let's think about it. It's December. It's winter. And we're not really skiing yet. But come April... Sometimes May, it nukes, and we're into spring. So it's skiing is not a winter sport. It is a snow sport. And when we have snow, we go skiing. So let's celebrate it. Let's have fun. I like December when it's kind of like this. I hate saying that, but it gives me a second. Let's me get my legs going, wake up, refresh, feel a little good. You know, I get to break in my boots. I don't know. Skiing isn't a winter sport. It's a snow sport. Country. It's essentially a guidebook in your pocket. They do a lot for the industry. They do a lot for us. Huge, huge fan of this app. Uh, had a couple days to tour, so I've actually gotten to use it. With slope shading, the ability to draw routes on your computer, save offline maps, send them to your phone. And you, have a, you literally have a guidebook in your pocket. I don't know. I shouldn't have to beg anyone to get it. Go to onxmaps.com. Use code OUTOFBOUNDS for 20% off. That's onxmaps.com. OUTOFBOUNDS for 20% off. Which leads me to my guest this week. The one and only Mark Morris. Which many of you may know as the Lonesome Pony. Uh, he's a 5th gen... Colorado, Coloradoian, Coloradan. I don't know. He grew up in Colorado. His family grew up in Colorado. He's a musician. He's an athlete. He's a skier. We kind of talk about everything. It's really fun. I had a great time. My favorite part of it, I think, about the conversation between Mark and I is we got on the Zoom call and he said, "What? what is this call for? Which is kind of like, what What do you mean, Mark? What do you mean, what is this called for? It's a podcast. But he had no idea. And, I, and it was kind of fun because we just kind of sh- like shot the shit. We just talked. It was refreshing. Some people come prepared. Some people come with agendas. And Mark, just, Mark and I just had a conversation, which is always the goal. So I hope you enjoy it. Episode 39 of The Pursuit on The Collective. Okay, cool. Well... <laughs> Why don't we just start it? I'm ready, man. Whenever so you are, Mark, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Mark Morris, and I'm an adventure backcountry skiing athlete and also a full-time musician, and uh, I get to travel the whole world um, skiing and playing music. If you were to pick one of those things and give up the other one. Which, oh man, which people have been asking me. <laughs> people have been asking me that my whole life. They're like, "Well, Mark, you got it. one of these days. You're gonna have to decide which one to do." Um, you know, as an athlete, I guess um, you know athletes tend to have a shelf life, um, but you'll occasionally get those those anomalies like Chris Davenport, who can just kill it on into their fifties. And then they become kind of an icon. Um, but, you know, I, I honestly, I've been thinking about that question a lot lately. And um, I think uh, skiing provides like an amazing release for me. And it, it, it provides like an amazing experience in nature. Um, but uh, performing music actually... I think engages the human brain um, 
more than any other activity I've ever done. And I can confidently say that I'll never learn everything there is to learn about music and I'll never get um, as good as I can ever get just because a lifetime doesn't have that much time in it. Whereas I can, I can safely say that there's going to be a point in my life where um, maybe I'm stronger or more flexible um, just at a younger age, just because that's the way the human body works. So I think the answer to that in a roundabout kind of answer is uh, I think music kind of has more of a longevity than skiing. And I think it engages the human brain more. I mean, there's been tons of studies about how playing music actually engages your entire brain more than any other activity. Do you think music helps your skiing career? Oh, totally. I mean, because at the core root of it, I'm an artist. And so when I kind of began the ski career, I was never really focused on competitions and, and being like the fastest or the strongest. I was always focused on how can I make skiing artful? And the way that I did it was through photography with some of my buddies. And we would just, we would find a, a beautiful mountain area and say, Hey man, you know, what if that was enhanced by a skier, you know, just slashing down or jumping off a rock or something. So at the core root of it, I think, um, as an artist, um, I can't remember the question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was just saying if they're relatable or if being a yeah, musician helps. Totally. You yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're totally, totally relatable because I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about it in an artist perspective rather than like, um, kind of an aggressive perspective. I really enjoy that you called skiing art because I view it like art and I, I don't, I don't know how much you know about me, but I photograph for a living. I photograph weddings, I photograph events, blah, blah, blah. So that's, I'm an artist. I hate saying the word artist, but I'm an artist. Yeah, And I totally. love that you called skiing an art because some people call it a sport and is a sport art or, you know, whatever. But I think skiing is such an expression of self, even from like, let's date back, let's go back 10 years when I was wearing a, a quad XL layered t-shirts and hitting rails and like that was my expression of art I was copying a thousand other people but like I landed a certain way and I had heavy head and like you turn a certain way and some people you know I think what was it idea was the ski film with Pollard when they went no poles and it was like yeah totally. it was like that to me was the light bulb moment of like this is art this is so much more than just a sport it's an expression yeah it's so cool and that's kind of the the same way i kind of really got um that's i really fell in love with skiing was um you know even at like a pretty young age you know i was like on ski race teams and everything and i was i could never really find like the competitive drive of the sport and uh and I think it was like my 12th birthday or something. My dad bought me a subscription to powder magazine <clears throat> and uh, I would just flip through those photos, you know, and the photos themselves are like pieces of art that you'd hang on your wall, you know, and they're so beautiful and the mountains are gorgeous and everything. And then there's just this element of radness, like enhancing the, the kind of panoramic view of a beautiful mountainside. And that's how I got like really infatuated with skiing. I was like, well, I, I want to do that. Like, I really want to do that. And that was like, you know, I, I think I, I went on my first like photo shoot for skiing. Um, I think I was uh, 13, 12 or 13. We went up to Valdez, Alaska and we got some really cool photos of us hanging around the helicopter and skiing these big lines and, <laughs> That was the same year, actually, I got a guitar, too. So they kind of hand in hand. I kind of learned both of those um, skills together. And 
you know, with skiing, it's like the more extreme you go, you know, there's always that element of risk and the possibility of getting injured. And, you know, I've been hospitalized countless times because of skiing. So um, how does a 16 all- year old get to Alaska for a photo shoot? Well, it was actually kind of a funny roundabout way. It was uh, my uncle, uh, he, like right during the very beginning of cell phones, they had to build all these cell phone towers up in Alaska. And uh, they built one in Valdez. I think it was the first one in Valdez because they didn't have any radio contact out there. And they were starting this heli skiing operation up on, up on those big mountains out there on Thompson pass. And so they called my uncle and they're like, Hey, is there any chance we can get a radio tower up here? And he's like, yeah, I mean, here's how much it costs. And they're like, well, we can't afford that, you know? So he said, I tell you what, take his heli skiing. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and then, and so then he called, he called me and he's like, Marky, you want to go heli skiing? And I was like, what is heli skiing? Is that that stuff Seth Morrison does? You know, is that, are you talking about jumping out of a helicopter? <laughs> and so that kind of relationship kind of grew over the years. And, you know, I've heli skied in Alaska, you know, a handful of times because of that relationship. So I'm super lucky that I <clears throat> was somebody's nephew. In that. <laughs> but would you say that like jump started your ski career or that was just a trip you went on when you were younger that made you realize you enjoyed this? How does one become... How does Mark Morris become a pro skier? How does he become the lonesome pony? How does like, how do you become like, holy cow, I can do this for a living almost? Well, I think it, it didn't really like jumpstart a career. I think it just jumpstarted a passion really. And I've always been an athlete my whole life and I've always done all kinds of sports and I always have so much fun playing sports but skiing was the only sport I ever found that really had no rules. Free skiing had zero rules. You could do whatever you wanted in it. You could jump off of anything. You could ski backwards or with no poles if you wanted to. There's just like, there's zero rules. So, you know, the opportunity to be creative on the mountain um, in an athletic kind of standpoint was like, it was just, it engaged me so much. I was just like so hyped on it that, uh, you know, I ended up in high school. I, I quit the ski team and I just wanted to ski by myself and just ski wherever, whenever, however I wanted to without any rules or anything. And then it came time to go to college and, uh, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to go to Western state in Colorado. Cause then I could ski Crested Butte, you know? And then I got to Crested Butte and I, uh, I kind of chased Seth Morrison around for, you know, a little while in Crested Butte. And, uh, I actually skied so much that I had to transfer schools. I ended up transferring to, uh, Colorado university. And at that point, you know, I moved back in with my parents and, uh, and I was still skiing and they're like, well, you, you know, you can't be a ski bum and study music. It's like, where are you going with this, Mark? And I was like, I don't really know, but I know that people do it. And uh, at that point I met up with uh, Doug Evans. He's Doug the skier on the gram and uh, my buddy Evan Mond. And they were really uh, trying to be pro skiers. And I had, I had really had no idea of like even how to approach that or anything. And so I just kind of like jumped on their team and, uh, then, you know, they ended up taking me to a half a dozen contests and all kinds of photo shoots. And, uh, and then I was at that point, I was kind of like involved in the industry and, uh, some of my high school buddies, started a ski company called Icelandic and we were all in high school together, the artists and the CEO and the founder and just so many people um, were so hyped on skiing. Like in those early two thousands, that was like before fat skis really even came out. And uh, 
So the first year that they came out with the Rosignol, I think it was the Rosignol uh, Phantom 108. It's like this big, heavy, strong, hardly could flex ski. Um, they were looking for people, you know, like grassroots kind of people to ski on their products. And so they picked me, Doug and Evan out and they're like, Hey, you guys, you're sponsored now. And we're like, Oh yeah. You know, we're so stoked. And <clears throat> so I was on, I was on their team for a while. And then, and then, uh, Icelandic started making, I don't know if you know the history of Icelandic, but they used to make a pretty short ski. And that was the only short, that was the only ski they made. It was like really it was small, like short like, and fat, right? Yeah, it was before all these fat long skis ever existed. So it was actually it was like a one thirty or something. Yeah, like. it was like it was, a one thirty. And they, yeah, they were calling them backcountry AT boards. And uh, and I was always pushing Ben. I was like, dude, you got to make a longer ski. And he's like, nah, man, that's not that's not what we're going for. And then eventually they buckled. And the year they buckled, um, they made the they made like three prototypes of this longer ski it was like a 190 it was called the keeper and it was like 123 inches or 123 centimeters or millimeters underfoot and uh i mean the shovel was massive and it was just a huge ski and i was going on this big uh tour out to russia to ski all over russia and uh so i was like all right i'm on team icelandic now and so I cashed in all my Rosignol stuff and um, sold all the Rosignol gear and just jumped on Icelandic and helped them promote that ski. And then, uh, and then the next year they were like, Hey, you know, what kind of ski would you like to ski on? And I always really, really enjoyed the uh, Rosignol RC one twelve, And that was kind of like a big beefy, really stiff ski. And I was like, let's, let's try to make one of these. And so we ended up doing like three or four years of a ski called the, uh, the seeker, the Atlantic seeker. And that was just like this badass ski that no one could ski and <laughs> had like zero side cut. And it was, it was built just for you for, and only you. It was just for straight line because I kind of had, ever since I was a little kid, I like had this knack of like never turning. And, uh, I would always just go straight through stuff and just like muscle through moguls. And, and then I, I just, it just be, kind of became my style is just like straight lining and going really, really fast. And that's just kind of where I found the joy in skiing. So that ski was like perfect for me. And, uh, and now, you know, however many years later, what has it been like almost 15 years, I guess, skiing for Atlantic, <clears throat> you know, we've kind of tooled the ski that the original concept of the pine or the original concept of the seeker kind of became the pioneer. And now the pioneer is a way more friendly ski with way more side cut and it's softer. It has more flex. It's all around just like a really badass ski. And uh, I've been promoting the pioneer for, you know, probably five or six years now. I love that ski. How involved are you with the ski building process? Well, early on, like <clears throat> Ben used to like design them and have these like templates that he would like print out on like eight by 10 pieces of paper and then he would tape them to the floor <clears throat> and he'd be like, Hey, what do you think of this shape? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we'd stand on the template and be like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I think it'll rip. And, uh, so it was kind of a lot then, but, um, you know, ever since, Ben kind of got a really good handle on ski design. Um, he just kind of like takes those, takes those ski designs and like just really polishes them up and makes them, makes them better than any input I could really give really. I think. <laughs> I mean, that's the goal, right? Like you can just be, get on them and be like, Oh, these rip. Awesome. Perfect. Thank totally. You. Yeah. And as a, as an athlete slash artist, you know, you could put me on, a pair of snow blades and I'd figure out how to charge down the mountain. But, um, yeah, there, yeah. someone's making a pair of backcountry ski boards right now or snow blades. Full send ski co is making them. Uh, that's so funny. Full I, circle. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> uh, Cy Whitling, I think is his name. 
he does all like the sketches. He's an artist. He does all the sketches for new schoolers. Yeah. But he's like a big backcountry skiboard advocate. Strictly because he's like, dude, there's these zones that I go into that I walk for like 10 miles and then I ski 800 yeah. foot of vertical. He's like, they're perfect. They're like these little cool, like for these little couloirs. Yeah. And it's pretty funny. I, I mean, I don't care. As long as people are having fun sliding on snow, like you want to put Dina Fitz on some ski boards? I, I mean, have it. That's the key. The, the key is the fun, man. As long as you're having fun, doesn't matter what you're on think, or how you're doing it or how you look. I think we forget <laughs> that often. Yeah, especially in the ski industry because it's like so like fashion driven and uh, like it's a very hip kind of click clicky kind of industry. Where at the end of the day, I mean, really, I mean, Eric Pejoto said once he's just like. Well, you're just going to strap a pair of two by fours to your feet and go charging down the mountain. What's funner than that? It's there's some reality <laughs> to that. And I just heard because everyone's all mad. And I'm not saying this is my opinion because everyone will be mad at me. But skiing's not affordable anymore, right? Because it's too much money and blah, blah, blah. And someone messaged me and was like, skiing's affordable, but no one wants to buy affordable skis. Everyone wants the best of the best. And it's like, you go out, you might ski five times you don't need the greatest ski on the planet with the greatest binding and the greatest boot you just need something to get you out there yeah and the reality is like some of these like smaller niche kind of companies um the cost to make a ski is it just keeps going up every year i think it went up by like 30 or 40 percent this year so the cost to make a pair of skis I mean, it's hard for those companies to really stay afloat because the all the stuff is so expensive from China, and it's just it's hard to make the ski to begin with. And so I think you know the prices just go up and the inflation or whatnot. But yes. I don't know the people who figure it out. They figured out because I I figured it out and like I like virtually. I, I mean, I grew up in a family of six. There were six kids, two parents, one bathroom, and like a, a thousand square foot house. And so, like you know, it wasn't like here's your new skis, Mark. <laughs> you know, so I kind of had to figure it out. And you know, I actually never. I worked in a ski shop all growing up. Ever since I was like 13, I started working in a ski shop. You know renting boots to Texans and people from Kansas that were coming in for the weekend or whatever, for the holidays. And, uh, so growing up, I was always just like piggybacking off of the ski shop and I would just take out the demo skis. And then, uh, when I went to Crested Butte and for college, my boss gave me a pair of skis and I was like, yes, I have a pair of skis now. And then that very next year is the first year I got sponsored. So I've never had to buy a pair of skis. I'm really lucky, but uh, I've, I've I've sold a bunch. I used to work at Bank Gate for a long time. <laughs> people people have cash out there. Yeah, but it's one of sure. those things. Like you say, you've never bought a pair of skis, but at the beginning of this conversation, you said you've been injured multiple times, and like that's the price you pay for the skis. Like you're, you know, and that's a stretch maybe, but like nothing's free. Like you're, you're doing these big oh, lines. Totally. You've dedicated your, you know, half of your life to this sport and literally risking your life for a photo that like hopefully makes a magazine so I can open it and be like, wow, this is beautiful. Look how that skier enhanced that. Yeah. And, but like you put your whole life, you know, you took a risk to get that. So like a free pair of skis is like the least that the ski industry could do for you, you know? So oh, yeah, totally. And sometimes back to ski retail, I work in a ski shop once in a while, like once the snow flies and like, sometimes I just want to like tell the consumer, like, dude, this ski costs us $650. So the $725 that I'm selling it to you for and mounting it, we're not really making that much money. Like, I think consumers think sometimes that they're just getting hosed and you're like, no, these skis cost a lot of money to make now. Yeah, totally. And then they have to be shipped here and then we have to touch them and move them and pay our staff and educate our staff. So it's like, by the end of the day, 
we made $75 off that ski. And really, we have how many man hours into it or female hours into it? You know, like it's sometimes I just want to tell my consumer like, hey, this whole package that costs you $1,500 and I we've been here for three hours and I've been boot fitting you and like catering you my time. The shop may be pulled 200 bucks out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the consumers it- would be like, oh. That's not that bad, but they think they're getting raked all the time. And it's like, you're not getting raked. Like we're not, we're not raking you over the coals here. Some people do. I mean, it happens for sure. We got to stay in business, but. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, the reality is skiing is a very expensive sport, you know? And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't get the opportunity to go skiing because it's such an expensive sport. And a lot of really, really talented athletes will never be on skis because it's so, and you know, like some of those inner city kids who really don't have any cash or certainly don't have enough money to go skiing at Vail, you know, they'll never have that opportunity. So you're, it's, it's not a lie that, you know, skiing is probably one of the most expensive sports on the planet next to like golf, I guess. Yeah. I mean, golf, at least you could do in like shorts and a t-shirt. Like that's always yeah, my rebuttal to golf. Like you can't <laughs> yeah. go out with bad gear, like winter clothes and, you know, skiing. And my thing is it's intimidating. It's intimidating if you're good at it. Oh, you know, totally. Yeah. Skiing like, is not easy. But like it's even just the concept of like going to a new resort. Like you're pulling in, you have your van, you think you're cool, you have your rig, and then you, there's like a thousand other vans, so no one cares. And then, you know, you're like, yeah. where do I park? And some lifty or some park guy, a parking attendant's like yelling at you, like, go over there. And then you're like, get over there. <laughs> and then yeah. you don't know where to get your lift ticket. Like, it's intimidating, even if, and I share these stories for people hopefully listening who are like, I'm intimidated to go skiing. It's like, yeah, even when you do it, I skied 100 plus days last year. Every time I go to a new resort, it's intimidating. I don't care yeah. if you're, I don't care if you're, a pro skier or an average Joe, like a new place is a new place and you don't know where to park and you don't know what lift to get on. And you have like, like it's intimidating. It's just what it is. I don't know. That was really exciting. Oh, it's amazing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love that feeling. It's like being a kid. Like, that's why I think at least for me, why I love skiing. Cause I get that like giddiness. Like it's like, it's exciting when the snow there's snow in our forecast today. I mean, it's it's like green and raining right now, but we're supposed to wake up to like six inches, which isn't like a nuke. But I'm in I'm in western New York, so we have hills. So if there's yeah. six inches on a hill, that's skiable. There's no <clears throat> sharks. It's just grass. So like tomorrow could be like almost knee deep powder day for us. Boot top powder day. So like we're all giddy and talking about it. And that's there's nothing better than that. It's just glorified sledding. Yeah, totally. I, I have like a lot of my musician friends who don't ski who are so bummed. They're so bummed when it snows. They're like, oh, and all my ski buddies are like so excited. So skiing, the stoke, the preseason stoke of skiing is probably the biggest out of any other sport, I think. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. And I try not to be, you know, when the snow melts, I pull out my mountain bike or I go hiking or I go I try to just yeah. enjoy all the seasons, which like skiing is like my sweet spot for sure. But I just bought a new mountain bike. So I've been like, I can wait. I can wait on this snow ah. this year. Like I'm okay, but it's, I don't know. It's different. Yeah. Skiing is really special. Um, because, uh, because w- once those mountains are covered in snow, um, you can, you, you almost get like superhuman powers, you know, especially when it's powder. Cause you can do things like, you know, that you can't do on a mountain bike on skis, you know, you can go like straight down these huge rock faces that in the summertime will be covered in rocks. So I don't know. Skiing is such a special sport. Well, it's different every year. And like some years you can't ski certain zones. So you've been like watching a zone for years. And whether it yeah, be totally. like unstable conditions or just not enough snow. And then you're like, oh, I think we're going to be able to ski that next week. Like, yeah, it's a really bizarre 
fascinating thing that we've clearly ruined our lives doing you know (laughs) i don't think we've ruined our lives. no but you know what i mean like you made sacrifices to do what you do and you took like the not the abnormal route but like i don't know it's the abnormal route like there was a point in your life just like when you said you moved back to your parents and they're like what are you doing you're studying music and you're skiing and you're like yeah you know, you could have easily <laughs> yeah. turned a point and been like an accountant and you were like, nope, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. So you've made, you know, those leaps and sacrifices to get to where you are. Yeah. And I th- there's a there's an there's so much freedom that you get like skiing. You know, it's almost like I think it's like the closest thing to flying without flying that, that you can kind of do at, at a sport. So there's like this element of freedom that it provides and it's addicting, man. That's oh, it's like totally all, I, you know, it's all you can think about most of the time is skiing, especially when, you know, when it's snowing hard and, and, uh, and the snow is piling up, it doesn't matter if you have, you know, a thousand emails you have to check or you have to get all these deadlines done. It's like, I'm going skiing. <laughs> yeah. I've never postponed because... more things in my life for, anything else than skiing like totally crested was the first place i'd ever been that like i seen the whole town shut down when they got like six and a half inches of snow yeah it's pretty amazing i remember i was like getting i was flying out of there so like woke up in the morning and like didn't have enough time to ski so i got grab a coffee and like we we got a bunch of snow and like everywhere was close and i was like what is going and then i was like oh Everyone here is a skier and they're closed because they don't care. And like the $200 they might make this morning is irrelevant because they're going skiing on a powder day. It like blew my mind. Powder is more important than money. Yeah. Powder (laughs) is more important. Exactly. You can't buy it. Yeah. That's That's they're trying to figure out how to make it, but they can't. Thankfully you consider yourself a backcountry ski athlete. Were you always yeah, into totally. like the uphill scene or did that come like recently? Cause it's like, I mean, there's definitely a back country boom right now. And I think- oh yeah. It's massive. Totally. And I think I kind of like, I've always been like uh, really talented at hiking. I've always been really talented at going uphill probably cause I'm a, you know, fifth generation Colorado. And so I have some kind of ancestral whatever they, whatever they call that, uh, you know, uh, it's like Sherpas. Why can Sherpas, just hang? <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, they're just fine up there. Like you just can't, it's, they're born and raised in it. So it's gotta be something. Yeah. And uh, you know, like the, the high school I went to was at 8,000 feet and we were always training really hard and stuff. And so, um, you know, like when, before like backcountry skiing was a thing, it was like telemarking was like the way to get move around in the backcountry. And I never really jumped on that train. I was always like an alpine skier at that point. But the first year that Marker came out with the the Duke, you know, I think the Fritchie binding existed right before that. But the first year they came out with the Duke, uh, me and my buddies all bought them. And we didn't really know quite what we were doing. I knew I had some backcountry skills from like heli skiing and stuff. But I, did, I certainly didn't have like the backcountry skills that I have today. Kind of developed those over the years. But, um, you know, once the Duke was there, it just opens up so much more terrain. And since I do enjoy hiking a lot, um, it was just, it made so much sense to get out in the backcountry. And I think backcountry skiing, you know, there's like this certain element of like peace that you can get like when you're the only person back there or it's just you and your buddies. And even when the wind is just cranking at like 85 miles an hour or whatever, it's just so peaceful up there. It's almost like I almost enjoy going up as much as I enjoy going down. And then, you know, over the years, they just kept developing new bindings and companies were trying to come out with new marketing ways to promote this backcountry adventure. And uh, I was just kind of in the perfect place at the perfect time to be a kind of an ambassador for backcountry skiing that uh, I just kept 
doing it. And so now I like to spend as much time, if not way more time in the backcountry than I do in the resort. But when I was young, you know, you have to, you have to like cut your chops, I guess, at the, at the ski area to get your skiing skills dialed in. Yeah. There's no replacement for laps. Like if you go downhill yeah. mountain biking for a day, you get so much better than if you just went cross country riding for a day. Yeah. Like it's just, I kind of, I kind of compare it to music too. Like, you know, I guess the, the ultimate goal with music is to play on a big stage in front of a whole bunch of people. Um, but you can't really get there unless you put in a ton of repetition on an instrument, you know, and figure out all the odds and ends of actually playing the music. So I would think like playing scales would be like, the equivalency of like pounding out a bunch of bumps, you know? And it pre- I mean, when you're in the backcountry, you're alone, like you're with your friends, but like you need to be on even skiing, like something that you've skied a thousand times. Like there's no one there to really save you. Totally. And that's, and like- that's why. Yeah. I honestly, I, I don't ski with just a bunch of random people all the time. I, I usually like to backcountry ski with my buddy, Doug and Eben because we have such a um, kind of an unspoken camaraderie and, and trust that we know we can like dig each other out if something bad happens or, or we, we all know that we're kind of on the same page, you know, sometimes I'll go out, you know, with new people and maybe they will be like a loose cannon or maybe they'll be way inexperienced in the back country. And that kind of, at that point kind of, makes makes the whole adventure kind of a little bit questionable at the times because you know but when you're with your buddies and stuff you kind of have a system and protocol that you don't really have to talk about that sometimes i you know i take it for granted when i go with new people um some of those protocols and stuff so usually when i'm backcountry skiing especially in a dangerous spot i usually keep the team pretty small and it's usually the guys have been doing it with for, you know, over a decade. Yeah. It's, I like that you said it because it's true. And it's something that you don't, not everyone thinks about when you start, you know, backcountry skiing, you're just like call some buddies and you go and you're like, no, this is your team. Like it's an individual sport, but the team comes into play if something goes really wrong. Right. It's a, it's a really weird, cause it is an individual sport. Like you got to get yourself up there. And you got to get yourself down. But if something were to happen, that's when the whole team comes into play. And like, you know, it, it, you do take it for granted. Like I ski with my, my good buddy, Corey in Vermont. And like, we kind of grew up skiing backcountry together. Like we grew together as backcountry skiers. Totally. And like, not, and like when I go with other people now, I'm just like, how do you not know? Like, this is assumed or this, you know, I don't know. It's just funny because we assume it because we learn together or, you know, hey, we're entering in. If you're in a different zone that you don't normally ski and like East Coast, we're below tree line. So you get lost in seconds because you have no idea where you are. And it's like, you know, hey, we're entering in on this road. We're headed this way. Like, so, you know, you have an idea of where you actually are. It's crazy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. That's where, you know, that's why backcountry skiing it's, I mean, it's pretty dangerous really, especially in Colorado with all the facets and stuff. But, uh, and the, you know, we always have like a super weak layer of snowpack that can eat you at any time. And so, uh, it's, you know, being a backcountry skier isn't like a weekend warrior kind of thing. I don't think it's, uh, it's almost like a full-time job because, you have to really understand the snowpack on a certain date. So it's like January 20th. What has the snow been doing since October in this particular zone? And so, you know, a lot of the backcountry skiing I do, I usually go to a lot of the same spots because I'm learning about the snowpack throughout the whole year. It's not, I I rarely like jump into an area that I'm not familiar with unless I'm going with somebody who's like an expert of the area. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, 
there's a lot involved with backcountry skiing that I, I think a lot of people, when they, they want to get out in the backcountry and take their dog skiing or whatever. And I think they, they forget about that component of it. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's obvious that they do because, you know, the death to the death rate is like more than it's ever been for backcountry skiing, you know, in part because a lot of people are a lot more people are in the backcountry, but also because I think a lot of people, you know, they, they don't think about the big picture. The big picture is really understanding everything about that mountain, you know, while the snow is falling from October to, you know, May or June. I don't know how to ask this question. It's not any, I mean, do you think the boom is good? Like, do you think more people in the backcountry is good for the sport or do you think it's going to lead to like, like, I don't know. I, it's for me, it's such a weird thing. Cause like we sell this stuff at the ski shop and anyone can just walk in and just walk in the middle of the woods or, you know, well, like, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, people, you know, have their freedom and have their choices, but you know, I think like people who are in like an area where they can influence other, other skiers, you know, Chris Davenport is really good at it. Um, relaying the message that, you know, snow safety is like as much a part of the game as any part of your gear, you know, just understanding snowpack and understanding the mountain. And to be honest with you, it's nothing that you can really learn in a book. It's, uh, you know, you can learn, a, you can learn a lot in a book, but actually getting out there and just, um, learning about the mountains is the only way you can really do it. And so, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing that more people are in the backcountry as long as they're, you know, being safe. I see, I see people all the time doing really stupid shit and, uh, I've never been one day like yell at them or whatever. I just, you know, as long as they're not, compromising my safety um i would yell at him if they compromised my safety but um <laughs> you know I, I think it's just like learning about the mountain and it, it takes people to relay that message to really you know educate yourself as best you can to where when you go out um you know you just have to start cautious because you know i think all those ski films nowadays are just promoting this like extra badass like go up here and just shred the mountain. Whereas like the people who are doing that, um, you know, they, they study that mountain and they're, yeah, they're, they're not just scientists at this point. Like they're, yeah, they're not just going out for a weekend to ski the biggest line. They're like pretty educated on the zone and they're hyper proficient skiers. Um, so I don't know. That's a, that's a been a kind of a hot topic for the last few years, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, if it's, if it makes people happy, they should definitely go out and enjoy, um, what nature has to offer because it, it's fucking exhilarating. Yeah. It's, it's like a fine line. Like, I don't want to be a gatekeeper. I want everyone to go and do it. Cause I love it. And I hope the same, I hope people can find that joy that I find in it. But with that being said, I'm like, Hey, I didn't just jump into doing that. Like I, I went through the ropes and I, I learned and I like continue to learn. And that's what like scares me. And there's no, there's nothing yeah. you can do, you know, but other than just education, like that's all we can do is educate. And, you know, I, my zones are really small where I am, but like people just, even just down to like Intel. And I'm like, guys, there's only like four zones here. And if I find another one, I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, use your maps. Like, go on, you know, get a, like, use your computer and start studying it and pay attention to when snow fell and how it fell and what direction it's facing. And, like, it'll, places will present themselves if you kind of, like, really look. But it's, I guess that's, I don't know, it's a bit of a ramble here for me, but I'm like, these people buy the gear and they're just like, I'm a backcountry skier. And I was like, there's so much education that comes into this. Not saying that anyone doesn't belong back there, but just be careful. 
because you got to go to work on Monday. 99.9% of us have to go back to work on Monday. So like, <laughs> yeah, just because we saw whoever ride that line in that video on Saturday doesn't mean we need to try to do that on Sunday. Well, yeah. And a lot of ski areas are like, you know, they have, they're having problems with that. Like people exiting a backcountry gate, you know, without a beacon or, a, you know, a backpack with a shovel and probe and, and, and like, I know like Vale had a big problem with that. And I think the problem comes in when they, you know, compromise the safety of other skiers, you know, I've, I've been like in the Vale backcountry before where we're in a zone that's very kind of sketchy and uh, we're kind of picking our way down it as carefully as we can. And somebody will come bombing down on the top of us. Um, and so that part of it, you know, uh, that part of it's like disrespect for other people. So, you know, just relaying that message, you know, if you, if you're going backcountry skiing, you know, you got to make sure you're giving the other groups and the other people like ample room. And if anybody's in a, like even somewhat of a potential slide path, you know, you make sure they clear that area before you even like attempt to drop in. Um, no matter how excited you are about the, you know, fresh couple feet of snow. I think that's like, that's the that's one of the most important messages we can relay. I think, because I, I think a lot of people get taken down by avalanches um, from other people skiing on top of them. Oh, for sure. And just knowing how to use your equipment, like knowing totally. how to use yeah. your, your beacon and your shovel and your probe and practicing. And I think we live in a world where we're like, as you get older, you're too proud to learn in a way. And or you just don't have time, you know? Yeah, that's that's a very good, a great answer as well. But I think, you know, you, you go some, you don't want to not fit in, right? So you're just like, you go somewhere and you're like, you know, yep, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. But like that extra five minutes on just a refresher, I mean, I make my friends do it, you know, we... It's nothing crazy, but we throw a beacon. So, like, you got to do it. You got to pay attention because if hopefully it never happens, because hopefully we just don't put ourselves in those situations. But if it does, knowing how to use our beacons and knowing how to shovel properly, like there's a there's a strategy in that. There's being in shape enough to shovel. Like those are all. Yeah. I was like, you know, I I worked at a backcountry mountaineering shop for years and. People would, you know, they would work, you know, Monday through Friday, like full time at their jobs. And then they would have those two weekend days to go skiing. So they would buy all the stuff they needed um, and they would have all the nicest stuff. But I would have people show up to the trailhead and they wouldn't really know how to operate their beacon. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I mean, before you go out, you know, you, you have to really understand how all this gear works. And, yeah. And, and it's, you know. And it's a selfish thing, too. It's like, I don't care if, like, I want you to find me. <laughs> like, if totally. I get buried, I want you to be able to find me. Because I'm confident that I can find you. Or at least I know how to use this enough to give you a fair shot. That's, like, yeah. what, you know, you really try to drive home. But I don't know. I could talk about, pe like, new people in the backcountry forever. And again, I don't want to gatekeep anybody. I want everyone back there. I just I just think education's important. And all these people, including yourself, you didn't just start like doing gnarly lines. Like you 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 crawled before you could walk. No, but there was like a point in my ski career where like, you know, in my early 20s where you know, I I was like kind of like thought of myself as bulletproof so i would do some pretty stupid stuff you know um when i was younger and uh i look back and i'm like man if we can somehow relay that message and it, it's almost like a parent telling their kids you know you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that but then eventually kids have to learn on their own but as i i can't you know i can't 
reiterate this enough. It's like keeping other people safe and not, you know, compromising other people's safety, like on the highway, you know, I mean, you drive as fast as you want, but at, at the end of the day, there's a speed limit because, you know, other people are out there and you could compromise their health and safety. Yeah. I think a lot of my sketchy moments in my ski career were just ignorance. Totally. Like I didn't know, I didn't know that I was in danger, which it might be worse, you know, but it's like, I didn't know I wouldn't have put, now I wouldn't have put myself in that situation, but because I was so, and there's gotta be growing pains. You gotta be young and dumb, but I just think, you know, I don't know. I just hope people are more willing to learn, including myself. And I say that out loud so that I don't get stubborn and bullheaded because nature doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and there's a, there's a huge element of complacency too. Like uh, one good example is I went up skiing with uh, uh, my best backcountry buddies and we were just skiing lines all day and we we're just having a good, we we're like, yeah, the snowpack feels great. And, uh, we tried this other steeper pitch and, uh, you know, I was standing on, I was kind of standing on the saddle and, uh, and my other buddy kind of took a snowmobile down and the whole mountain ripped out and we, we had been skiing. We had already skied it a few times. So there's that whole element of complacency of, you know, kind of throwing caution into the wind. Um, because, you had skied it a few times, you know? So I think like, just, you, you kind of have to stay on your guard, like full time when you're in the back country. And you always have to be careful, even if you think that the snowpack is bomb proof, you know? Yeah. Mother nature doesn't care. And I think that's true in resort too. Like just because totally. ski patrol bombed it does not mean that that thing's safe. And I think people who ski resorts just assume safety sometimes. And you're like, no, this is you versus mother nature. And you have these stupid two by four strapped to your feet. And like, you're going to try your best to hang on and like control your way down. But like mother nature's in charge. Always. (laughs) Totally. Always. Yeah. 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 You're not. So yeah. Backcountry skiing. So anyway, I've been a backcountry skier, you know, ever since they kind of came out with that first touring binding and uh and now i i i like to do it all over the world you know and i'm lucky enough to do it all over the world um you know icelandic takes us on awesome trips to austria and switzerland and so i'm like pretty pretty thankful for all that stoked between that and music which do you travel more um, damn, that's a hard question in the, cause with music, you know, once the snow melts, music season kind of hits and, um, I guess before COVID I was on this cycle where I'd go to Europe once or twice a winter, and then I would go to Europe once or twice a summer. And, you know, that was like bookends with Alaska trips and stuff. Um, God, I can't, I can't really tell you which I've seen the world more with, but between the two of them, my God, I've been bouncing around this globe like crazy over the last, ever since 2007, I think it's been pretty crazy. What's the name of your band? Uh, So I have in a band called rapid grass, like the river rapids and uh, bluegrass rapid grass. And you're a full touring band in the summertime. Yeah. And I like to like I, I, we're kind of an unconventional unconventional touring band. I uh, I started the band um, in 2009, and my whole goal was to play in cool mountain towns. That was like my whole goal for the whole band. I, I was never like trying to like get involved with the music industry or anything like that. I just wanted to take a band and go to cool music towns so that I could go trail running. And, uh, you know, we've done like, a, you know, we've been to Chamonix like 10 times and we've been all over Europe and Poland and Ireland. And I guess that's all Europe, but, uh, but then when we tour around in the summer, you know, people will call us to have gigs in 
St. Louis or, you know, all those like kind of Eastern States. And I, I usually turn them down for like less paying gigs that'll take us to like Targi or Jackson or Montana or something, you know? So just because, you know, selfishly, I like to put myself in the mountains and kind of use music as a vehicle to kind of make the travel work out, which yeah. is pretty fun. Yeah. Cause usually yeah, mountain people love this kind of music too. Cause we're singing and playing music about the mountains and, like one of my most popular songs is about skiing off a cliff and uh, you know, so <laughs> it's pretty funny. So uh, we're like an all mountain string band. I like to call us. I was going <laughs> to ask if you bring in the skiing element to your music, but I assumed you did. So. Oh, totally. What's next for the band? Like, do you. COVID is um, not well, over, but yeah. the world is kind of opening again. So like, yeah. And I've been branching out and doing my uh, doing like a solo thing. And so uh, the last four weeks, I, I was playing music. Um, my Actually, my, my month started October, I think it was October 2nd. I went up to the San Juan Islands up in Washington and played some music with my brother, Timmy. And then I went straight from the San Juan Islands to the Grenadines which is like right north of Venezuela. And I was playing music on these yachts with uh, the Dobro player from Green Sky Bluegrass and this uh, other banjo picker named Maggie. And then I flew from the West Grenadines all the way to uh, Kodiak, Alaska, actually a smaller island called the Fognac. And I played music uh, for this like really cool hunting camp for a couple of weeks or about a week. And then, uh, and then I just got back from a big uh, Florida's biggest music festival. It was in Fort Lauderdale, right on the beach, and uh, I was playing. I was playing music um, for a for a conservation tent called Rock the Ocean, and they like raise a bunch of money for uh, turtle con- conservation, shark conservation, and uh, that one was pretty cool. I got to meet like you know, Tom Hanks and John Travolta and stuff. So it was pretty cool. It was, there was a lot of stars out there, but and then now I'm back and uh, we, we do have a cool concert coming up December 4th at the Breckenridge Riverwalk center for the Colorado avalanche information center. And it's a big fundraiser for, you know, raising awareness about avalanche safety and also you know, raising money so the CAIC can give us those everyday reports on the snowpack and stuff. And so that's kind of cool. I, I love doing stuff like that. And uh, and then uh, we're going to play the URA Ice Fest. We're like the house band at the URA Ice Climbing Festival. Um, and, uh, and between all that, I'm kind of like um, organizing our summer tour. We're going back to Chamonix. Um, and we're going to tour around France and, uh, hopefully by the time we tour around France again, I'll have some pretty good skills in paragliding because I'm, (laughs) I'm really into getting into paragliding right now. And, uh, every year we go to Chamonix, I see people paragliding off the Bravant and I'm like, man, why do I not have this skill yet? And so, uh, I went on a river kayaking trip with uh, a bunch of rock star river guys like rush sturgis and and uh those guys are all paragliders and they're like hey man yeah figure it out you got this and so uh i think in the in the next few weeks i'm going down to santa barbara to kind of figure out the whole paragliding i mean how do you figure out paragliding i feel like you either do it or you die yeah, I will. There's a school I'm going to in Santa Barbara that uh, it's like a two week course. And they basically get you enough skills to where you can fly by yourself. And I think at that point, you know, I'll have another sport to really focus on. And that one is a really important one to really spend a lot of time and, 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 you know, take a lot of care with because you know otherwise you're falling out of the sky there's no messing up in that one 
Yeah, totally. But it, it's exhilarating. I don't know if you've ever done it. I have not. I don't know if I ever will. That's like one but, for me that I, I, I don't know. I guess I would do it. I don't know. It's but, just, well, my eventual goal with it is to uh, get on a mini wing and uh and and add add it to my skiing i want to be able to mini wing while i'm skiing and trail running you know you could go on a long trail run with a mini wing and then you know run up the mountain and fly back um and i have some friends like teague holmes up in summit he does it um i know some people that do it so i know it's possible so (laughs) i'm I'm gonna give her a go (laughs) i mean why not really it seems yeah totally that's why wouldn't why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we paraglide? It just seems so sketch. Like it's just a kite. Like kites aren't kites aren't that great at flying in general. <laughs> yeah, I well, I think it's it's kind of like skiing powder. You know, it's like you don't go out when it's dangerous. You you get these like little windows that are safe, and when it's when it is safe, it is safe, and when it's not safe, you know, it's deadly. So. Um, from what I understand about it is you just have to really, really, you just have to really know what you're doing and, and only go out when it's perfect. I love it. Good for you. You can have that sport. I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have it yet. So, um, where did the lonesome pony come from? Oh yeah. That's a, that's a funny story actually. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I was having beers one night in Nelson, British Columbia. And, uh, I was hanging out with, uh, I had my buddy Doug and Evan were there and it was a kind of a, it was kind of a dead bar, but Seth Morrison was there and Shane McConkey and, uh, Eric Pejota and they were all there and I was all fired up. I was like in my early twenties and we were all talking about you know how to stand out in the ski scene and it was like before instagram or myspace or any of that and uh so i actually registered for all my my comps uh as as lonesome pony as like a i guess it's like a stage name you know and then you know when instagram came out or whatever i just kind of kept that kept that name i i mean it doesn't get any better than that just plain and simple <laughs> is my stage name. Do you use it on stage yeah. with your band or no? Uh, no, no, it's just my skier stage name. I love it. It's pretty funny. That's yeah. great. Um, Mark, where can people follow you on Instagram, your website? Are you in any ski films this year that we should check out? What do you have kind of coming up this year? Um, well, yeah, I just wrote a cool blog or a cool magazine article for Rab um, about a trip we did in Jackson. That's going to be cool. Um, so if if you guys aren't familiar with Rab, um, Rab equipment is like basically the best outdoor gear. I'm like so thankful to be a part of their team because they make like actually waterproof stuff. And, uh, so check out the Rab website. And then I, I have a personal website. It's uh, lonesomepony.ski. And, um, then I have an Instagram at lonesomepony and, um, follow my band at rapidgrass and rapidgrass.com. And, uh, we have like seven studio albums out right now that you can check out on, itunes or spotify or whatever um and it's a lot of people who are like really into the backcountry and nature kind of connect with the music because we're singing about mountains and snow and skiing and whitewater kayaking and all the fun stuff you can do in the mountains what genre would you consider it i guess in a nutshell it's like kind of like country bluegrass but um we have a, a violin player who's like really good at like gypsy swing. So we kind of, we dabble a lot with that French sound. And because we've been touring Europe so much, you know, we, you go to Europe and you get, get into a jam and most of the Europeans know this gypsy swing kind of music. So we've really, really kind of developed a cool hybrid sound of gypsy bluegrass 
um, over the years. And, uh, but I'm trying to lean towards more of a country thing because <laughs> I want a bigger audience. Because country's huge so, right now. It's yeah, it's huge. It's massive. It's wild. Uh, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. I know we were back and forth for the kind of the last three weeks. So thank you for yeah, finding totally. an hour and making it work. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for chatting with me. And uh, it's an honor to be on your podcast here. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Right on, brother. So that was episode 39 of The Pursuit with Mark Morris, a.k.a. The Lonesome Pony. If you liked it, please leave a five-star review. Let us know what you think. Slide into our DMs. Share it. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Uh, We've got all new logos, new branding. The Pursuit's got a little dude now, little homies, what I've been calling them. We're really pumped on it. Chris Damiani knocked the design out of the park. So he worked with us, Jabber and I, to kind of dial it in where we want to be, what we like, what we don't like. So let us know what you think about that. Leave a five-star review. Follow at Mr. Adam X. Follow at on a podcast. I think that's it. I think that's all I got to say this week, my friends. Hope everyone has an excellent day, excellent week. As always, I'm Mr. Adam X, and I'll see you tomorrow.